0: Hey, uh, Pastor Tyler, thank you so much. And and folks, it's it's so great to be back with you uh, here again. As uh, Tyler, my buddy, said, I was here three years ago and uh, had a great time. Um, I don't know what was going on in my mind. I'm like, dang it, Roseville, like where in the world is on, look on the map and everything? I'm thinking it's like 50 minutes away. It's like 25 minutes away. It's not that far at all. And so uh, this is so cool to be with you uh, with y'all today. I wish my Wife and my my, my kids could be here too, because it's Kids Sunday, right? Oh, I love Kids Sunday. It's the best. I've got four kids uh, two boys, two girls, uh, eight, seven, five, four. And so I got Luke, Noah, Amelia, and Ella, and they love Paw Patrol, Blippi, Peppa Pig. I mean, the whole thing, all the cool shows, y'all. So I told you, you like all those things? I like all those things too. Yeah, it's like, I'm Peppa Pig. She's like, right? I mean, I just love, I mean, I love, and like, like literally, like, that's what every day I hear that. My four-year-old, you know, snorting like, like like a pig, and that's what she does. You know, she's like, I'm Ella Pig. You know, so anyways, it's great to be here again. Um, my name is Darrell. I am uh, live in Durham. I know, I got all the kids snorting. I love it. I love it. Um, gosh, what do I want to talk about today? You know, it's funny. I had a, I had a, I was going one, one direction and then and worship was so beautiful thank you for that and i'm like you know i'm gonna go in a slightly different direction but same scripture here uh tyler thank you for having me you have a wonderful wonderful servant uh man of god that is leading you here uh he's a buddy of mine been a buddy of mine so encouraging and it's just so it is so refreshing to worship here i was literally in tears crying in worship today i mean it's i'm I'm an emotional person, so it's not surprising, but it also is testament to the sweet spirit that is in this place. Excuse me one second. Okay. All right, I'm back. Uh, And so, again, thank you for having me. Uh, I ramble a lot. I have a tendency to ramble. Uh, I am, uh, in addition to being a pastor, I'm a professor at a little peace college in downtown Raleigh, University of Chapel Nair. My students know I ramble, so I need to. I'm gonna set this timer because if I don't, I'm just gonna be talking to y'all. I'm just happy. I'm like, man, this is great, man. I'm not at my church today. We, like, I do gotta get back, um, but the, someone else says we're doing like a joint worship service. So I'm not like lead, doing anything. So I'm like, man, I'm chilling today. This is great. Like, I'm like, y'all stay for communion, just hang out, get some coffee, some little banana bread over there. I'm just chilling. So, all right, I think I've said everything. I've introduced myself. Thank you, Tyler, again. Um, yeah, we need to grab coffee too. Go back to the coffee. Um, Luke 28, or Luke chapter 10. I'm going to be talking about the Good Samaritan. No, let's just read it. One day, an an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, he said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Hmm. The man answered, um... You must love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Folks, there's a story of, um, of an organization in Dallas, Texas. I, I, I went to school in Texas. I got my master's in public policy. At texas a and i A&M, I'm an Aggie, and, uh, and, and uh, my best friend's from Dallas. There's a really cool organization there called Seek the Peace. It's called Seek the Peace. And they focus uh, and love on refugees, folks coming in from all over the world. And uh, it's led by a man named Jason Clark, and there's a particular neighborhood in Dallas that's home to, like, thousands of refugees from 15 different countries. They speak 140 different languages, and most of them fled from their home countries because of war and trauma. And and there's a story of this organization, Seek the Peace, taking a group of visitors to tour their facility and tour the neighborhood in which they were working in. And and, and as they drove from the office, the local high school was just getting out. And, and, And the streets were filling with young people from all the world, all over the world. Guess what happened? Big street fight. Big fight. They stopped at a red light and they found themselves immersed in the middle of a giant street fight with young Burmese and West African refugees. And these cats, yo, they were wielding like nunchucks, they bats. I mean, it was not going to be good. These were the violent few of Jason's neighborhood that most people refused to see. And without hesitation, Jason Clark, the leader of that organization, gets out of the car at the red light, Runs in the middle of the fray, hands up like this, and and he's armed not with weapons. No, he doesn't have anything. All he's got is a heart for peace, a heart for justice, a heart for reconciliation. And in a matter of minutes, a fight. That could have sealed the fate of dozens of young kids. These kids would have gotten locked up. They would have been in prison. They're refugees. Lord knows what, you know, being in the system as a refugee, you ain't got documentation. You got, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, right? In a matter of minutes, Jason Clark works to de escalate the fight. And after the fight was de escalated, they looked around and they saw lines of cars backed up and folks just kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. You know, uh, and Jason stood in the middle of the road, arms outstretched, looking in the eyes of those hurting kids. And while many people that day saw some violent teenagers, you know, kids from bad past, kids from different countries coming over here. You know what Jason saw, folks? He saw their dignity. He saw their, that, the fact that they were made in the image of God. He saw their plight and their pain. And my friends, that's what I want to talk to you about today. I'm calling audible. I went to have a different message. I'm like, you know, we're going to change it up. I want to talk about being a peacemaker. I want to talk about how we are called to be peacemakers. Men and women who see the humanity, the dignity, and the image of God in all people. They see that pain. They see that plight. And instead of judging and, inact- and imp- or living out their biases, they instead choose to act in a way of reconciliation. There's a story that I just read about something very similar that happened in Dallas, Texas, a couple of years ago. The story of the Good Samaritan. We all know it. You know, guy walking down a lonely road. He gets jumped. Temple assistant walks by, doesn't do anything. Priest walks by, doesn't do anything. But ooh, a despised Samaritan chooses to act. It's a riveting story. Now the part I read to you was about this young Pharisee asking Jesus about, who's my neighbor? Uh, This is a story about a person, a real person asking Jesus a really important question. And Jesus gives a very simple answer. He's like, listen, you gotta love the Lord God, you know? But there was something else that this young man was digging for. He's like, who's my neighbor? Now, here's the thing. He says, who's my neighbor? This inquiry came not from a sacrificial desire to love all humanity. This inquiry, who is my neighbor, was actually myopic. What he really wanted to know, what we just read, was who am I obligated to see? And who am I allowed to ignore? Uh Uh-oh. And Jesus, in his wisdom, understands the question behind the question and answers by telling a very controversial story. A story about racism, a story about violence, a story about crime. And that's where we read. This man's traveling down the road, dangerous road. Now here's the thing. Before we move quickly to like the, the temple assistant and the priest who walked by this guy who was bruised and bloody and dying, right? Before we do that, who were the folks that jumped said, "Dude, who were they? What neighborhoods did they come from? What experiences experiences push them to the wilderness where they literally spend their lives hiding behind rocks and overwhelming people with violence? What were the systems in place that had robbed their hope, had calcified their imaginations, interrupted their ability to see the humanity, dignity, and image of God? See, here's the thing. These questions Usually go on ass when we explore this particular story, and it, it happens all the time in today's society when we see the headlines. And I know it, living in Durham. Oh my goodness! When I moved to the Triangle area, oh don't go to Durham. Oh boy, it's bad out there. Oh man, you know. And you know, I got folks from Holly Springs and Apex telling me, "Be careful," you know. And I'm like, okay, I understand. Yeah, there's gang violence. Yeah, these kids have got some issues on the street, but my goodness, they're made in the image of God. It's not just headlines. I hear it all the time. time, Anytime you want to talk about justice, anytime you want to talk about equality, there's a, but, but, but what about Chicago? It's so violent there. But I want to know what's going on in these kids' homes. What's going on in these kids' neighborhoods that's causing them to choose violence, right? The problem is, it's so easy for us to distance ourselves. I am guilty of it, too. I'm guilty of my privilege, really economically for me. I came from a good home, two-parent household. Daddy was a little rough on us, a little bit of disciplinarian. But, you know, for the most part, we turned out all right. You know what I'm saying? But I, my privilege can oftentimes insulate me and keep me in this bubble where I'm looking out on what's going on in the headlines. I'm like, hmm, ooh, what's happening there? as opposed to letting my heart grow soft and start asking some questions about who these folks are and what is going on in these neighborhoods. And how can I help? What can I do? And so what was going on with them? That's a question that we oftentimes don't ask about the violent few that jumped this poor guy. So the story continues with the arrival of the religious elite to the site of violence. The priest comes along, the temple assistant comes along. Now, here's the thing. We can easily judge them too, but we're like, how could you walk by this like body that's bruised and bloodied walking down the street? What is going on? And a lot of times, the, the, one of the reasons why they walked by was because they were so focused on their religiosity. The temple assistant, the priest, they were so focused about ritual purity, They did have a responsibility to the community of Israel. They were mediators between God and the people. And so they were probably like, oh, no. Oh, I can't get close to that body because, oh, something might happen, right? Or I wonder if it was fear because maybe they're seeing this guy got jumped and they're like, am I next? I I mean, honestly, put yourself in their situation. I might have asked that question too. Am I next? What's going to happen to me? The point that Jesus was trying to make here, though, was that their understanding of religious faithfulness stymied their compassion. Whoa. Their focus on getting to church and singing the songs and getting to Bible study was indeed myopic because Jesus was like, you failed to enact mercy and justice and compassion, which I love what Pastor Tyler said. That is a part of the gospel. That's the wholeness of the gospel. It's not just the belief that Jesus died for me. As long as I believe that, I'm good. I'm going to see him in heaven, okay? The gospel is radical devotion to God and also radical devotion to neighbor. And if there's a piece in the puzzle that is missing in our cities, In our region, in our neighborhoods, my friends, we have an obligation to pick that piece up and do our parts to make sure the puzzle is whole. And Jesus, I'm telling you, he would always get, what were the one group of folks that he would get into the biggest arguments with? The Pharisees. It was always the Pharisees. Why? He would constantly slam them for their adherence to religiosity that was devoid of mercy, justice, and compassion. And so we have to remember that. And here's the thing, folks, what about us? Very short message today, I'll close with this. But what about us? What has damaged our ability to see the puzzle piece on the ground? Folks made in the image of God, dignity, their humanity what are the variables that are blinding us from seeing people whose lives are different than ours but broken how does the frenetic pace oh and i'm so guilty of this i am just constantly we are constantly on the go as i told y'all we got four kids it's a, we got dance we got karate we got soccer i mean and the, you know, there's all our lives are so busy How does the busy pace of our lives and our calendars blind us to what is beautiful and broken around us? What opinions, fears, and biases have been ingrained in us through our upbringing, the brand of church we've been a part of, and our preferred media sources? I grew up in a household, unfortunately, where my parents, particularly my father, was just mean towards folks in the LGBTQ community. Just mean spirit. just mean. And I grew up with that bias. I grew up with that prejudice. And there were some times where I really had to repent and do some soul work and deconstruction to, be, to, to say, wait a minute, how I grew up, that was not right. Because I'm sorry, these folks are made in the image of God. These folks have brothers and sisters and mamas and daddies just like me. So who am I to sit here and judge them and their lives? What are those things that we grew up with that blind us, my friends? It can be far too easy to trust only those who think, look, and believe, and sound and act just like us. And we oftentimes will grow progressively suspicious of accents, skin tones, economic disparities, sexual orientations, political affiliations, and names of, God, names of God that are different from ours. Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, Jesus could have stopped there. And the consensus of the crowd would have been like, you know what? Oh, here comes the Samaritan. Because, you know, in those days, Samaritans were despised by the community of Israel. They were half-breeds. They weren't even true followers. They were horrible. And so the fact that Jesus mentions a Samaritan, are you kidding me? And they're like, oh, oh, Jesus mentions them. Here we go. I bet you that dirty Samaritan, he's just going to finish the job of those folks who were hiding in the rocks. Oh, I can't wait, Jesus. You just tell us how bad this Samaritan person. Just, oh, just can't. Yeah, yeah, let's get him. And to their surprise, contrary to these expectations, Jesus in turn elevates the Samaritan and refuses to let racial or religious barriers hinder him from truly seeing the victim. He's trying to tell them, listen, there is a broken human being right here, no clothes, bleeding out, broken ribs, who knows? And this Samaritan sees the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in this broken life. By including this one foreign character, Jesus invites his listeners to see God at work in the lives of those who we would deem unorthodox heretical, or of a different faith tradition. Jesus is trying to let us know that compassion is the central premise of this story. It wasn't right doctrinal beliefs, correct orthodoxy, what church did you go to, what what were your accomplishments. The main point was mercy. It was mercy. What should know, no religious identification but should come from a desire to see the dignity and the image of God in other people. My friends, I'd simply want to say today in 15 minutes, my time is up, man, (laughs) that we are called to be, I always got to keep that time limit because you get rambling and everything. We are called to be peacemakers. That is what the holistic, comprehensive gospel is all about. And instrumental to making peace is the ability to see what others choose not to see. We must be a people who choose to see beyond our own biases, opinions, lies, and fears and seek to repair what is broken in our cities, in our communities, and in our neighborhoods. That's why I went on down to Durham. Because I got tired of folks down in Fuquay and Apex and Cary and everything telling me how dangerous and rough Durham is. I was like, you know what? Then send me there. Because apparently that's that's where the help. That's where we need help, you know? Now, granted, it don't matter. You can live in a nice little suburban enclave with your big, fat 4,000-square-foot house, and it can be hell on earth. And so it ain't just the hood. It ain't just Durham. Shoot, there's, fo- there's problems everywhere. We all know that. Is that ain't that right? But we got to choose to see. You know, I just, um, I'll close with this. I know I said that before. I'm like, oh, I'm closing. Go ahead. <laughs> Tyler's like, he's like, bro, you ain't coming back, bro. I'm like, man, I ain't never going to see any of y'all again, man. I'll tell you. I mean, man, we'll see. I ain't never, it's, man, it's only 25 minutes away. I could be here more often. Whatever. <laughs> not, not that far. Not that far. I'll say this. Yeah, I, just, I just finished a book. Um, oh, it was a great book. Tyler, you would love it. Um, uh, the Civil War as Theological Crisis. It's really good. Written by a brilliant historian named Mark Knoll. He's out of Notre Dame. And oh, yo! It was basically the book was about how the Civil War, yes, it was a, a policy crisis about you know ending slavery in this country. There were sectional disagreements, but you know it was really about was the theological debate on whether God was okay with slavery or not. And the North and abolitionists had their arguments, and the Southerners literally had scripture to back up their belief that slavery was ordained in the eyes of God. They were like, look at the, look at the Bible. This is what the Bible said. This is what the Bible said. And, and one of the things that you see in slaveholder theology is a gospel of individualism. It's a gospel that says, listen, it's all about correct doctrinal beliefs. And as long as you believe, them, it, it's okay. What happens on this earth, it's not, it, What happens here, and 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 you know, and the fact that we're enslaving people made in the image of God, we're ripping their babies from their arms, we're selling their children, we're breaking up marriages, we're killing people. You know what? It's all about you and your relationship with Jesus and everything else. You know, that slaveholder theology, that gospel of individualism. Individualism, my friends, we've got to be careful about a Christian belief that centers just ourselves, without understanding the broader implications, communal implications of the good news. And Jesus was trying to tell him that. He's like, listen, y'all are so focused on getting to the temple and making sure you're all right and everything, and you're missing it by a mile. My friends, we can't miss it. We can't miss it. I love Lord of the Rings, Tolkien. And my favorite book in that, that, that um, series is The Hobbit, actually. The Hobbit, probably Return of the King. I love, love Return of the King. I read them every year. I read the books every year. And there's a line uh, in The Hobbit where Thorin Oakenshield, the great dwarf prince from Erebor, proud dwarf prince, um, is lamenting the loss of the, his homeland, the Lonely Mountain, where the evil dragon Smog, you know, came in and burned everything up and, and sat on their treasure in the mountain. And Thorin, uh, trying to reclaim his homeland, his kingdom, is lamenting. And, he's, and he says, to, when, it, when he was talking about the first battle uh, with Smog, the destroyer, this dragon, and he said, he's like, you know, had the aim of men been true that day, much would have been different. And he was talking about how the lake men who, were, who lived near the Lonely Mountain had these giant arrows, black arrows, and they were the only arrows that were effective against the dragon Smog. And they, they tried to fire him, but they couldn't kill Smog. And Thorne was just saying, like, had the aim of men been true that day, much would have been different. And I hope it can be said 30, 40 years ago, 30, 40 years from now. I hope we will not say that line that Thorne said. I pray that as Christians, as Christ followers, as believers, we would step up, stand out, use our platform, power, and privilege to speak out against injustices. I pray that our aim would be true. Here and now, so that much will be different. God bless you. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for today. Thank you for the Village Church. Uh, I I, it, I I feel like a you know second cousin at a family reunion. Just a little wild second cousin from Durham. It's just such a blessing to be here. Such a blessing to be with this family of believers. God, I pray that you would bless them in this ministry. Bless Pastor Tyler and this series. Let it be more than head knowledge. Let it be weighty in our soul. And I pray that our aim, the aim of justice, the aim of a holistic gospel that is all about souls and systems, individuals and the community, Lord, our aim would be true. Give us grace. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank y'all for having me today. It's a blessing to be with you.